walk up. I've got that lovely face. Yeah, I got your lovely face too. I'm gonna remind us to so that we can forget as soon as we get into it. Three, two, one. Sweet. Sweet. Thank God we did that now instead of later. (laughs) I mean, Lord knows we would have forgotten. Oh, 100%. How many times have we? Oh, you know what was so funny is that when I did the recording with uh, Honey and Jin, I, like, forgot to ask her to do the s- forgot to even explain what it was, <laughs> and so she ended the recording and then started her recording again to do the s- which made the s- useless. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't know good at all. <laughs> <laughs> and also, when she did the s- she didn't know what I was talking about, so she just said s- instead of s- instead of clapping. It's okay, I can't blame her. It's the first podcast we've ever done together. <laughs> I I was so confused too with the terms. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, sometimes like I think that's saying your name. I think that is like because like that that's what it is in an interview, in an audition, right? Yeah, because exactly that's what it's from in an acting perspective. And, and from an acting perspective, it's like, hi, my name is blank, and this is going to be blank from blank. The the very first time someone asked me to do a, I was like, um, like my character name and what the scene's about. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, do we want to just hop into it? Let's hop into it. Hi, I'm Johnny Bartlett. Hi, my name is David Baxter. That's the other. Yeah, we're your hosts <laughs> of the Bundle Bourgeoisie. We hit both the now, both the clapping and the talking. Boom, baby! We've got this down. We're professionals. Yeah, which means now that I've acknowledged it, that you have to include the now and in the final edit <laughs> <laughs> or or i just very carefully cut out any mention of the word oh no <laughs> then it's more work <laughs> all right so let's go ahead and talk about these games here huh uh yeah this is the december humble choice bundle and on the docket for this week we have overcooked two we have struggling indivisible we have frog detective one and two the Beast Inside, Path of Giants, and One Step from Eden. Ooh. All right, now bef- you know. Wait, hold, you notice anything weird? There is an extra game on the on the list this week. We don't. We're not doing three. We're doing four. <gasps> That's right. Because it's not just one Frog Detective game. It's two. Whoa! Whoa! The Haunted Island. And this bundle comes with an additional game, additional two games, correct? Yeah, uh, well, I think it's partially because the Frog Island game, uh, or sorry, the Haunted Island, a Frog Detective game, and a Frog Detective 2, uh, the case of the Invisible Wizard, are both literally $5 and about an hour long. So it, it would feel like a crime if you included only one of them, and also, like, <laughs> or even if you included both of them, just not having, like, an extra game, because, like, they're so small. Yeah, and so they did round it out to an even 14 this month. Yeah, so going going crazy this time. Going crazy. Hell yeah. Uh, So yeah, want to just hop into this? Let's do it, baby. Yeah, oh, dude, and what a game to hop into it to start out with here. I love this first game. Oh, God, yes. It's Overcooked 2. This is a game by Ghost Town Games and Team 17 Digital, who also did Overcooked. Who would have guessed? Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought they made the sequel? Wait, what are they working on right now? Probably Overcooked 3. Yeah, you got it. Ha! Got it in one, baby. <laughs> got it in one. Who would have guessed? 
Editor Johnny here. We did not, in fact, get it in one. The next game they're working on is Overcooked All You Can Eat, which is a 4K next-gen remaster of the first two games that is including cross-play and online multiplayer for the first time. Uh, this is, if you've played Overcooked, you'll love this game. It's, it's, it's the exact same as Overcooked 1, basically. Uh, it's all the, it's all the same mechanics. You, you run around with your dumb little chef and you pick up fruits and vegetables and burrito shells and you chop them up and you make ingredients. You can fry meat, you can steam stuff. Uh, it's, it's, that's what there is to it. But the charm comes from, obviously the game is a, a four, up to four player co-op game. So you can get you can get way too many chefs in this kitchen all battling for superiority as the head chef. It's one of the most delightful games I've ever gotten completely just furious at my friends over. <laughs> it is it is unbelievably fun to bark orders at David and then immediately watch him go do something different. <laughs> Look, I panic and I don't know what to do because like I because like things aren't getting done and it's like oh okay well if you you're not gonna go do your task and I'll go do your task. But that, that, that's why, like, I'm I'm the best in that game. If I just got, if I'm I'm left like the one guy frying burgers, that's my job. I'm the burger frying guy, and then I do great. <laughs> and then you catch him washing dishes, washing dishes, and you're like, David, get but back no, to the burgers. No one was doing them. <laughs> and then now I go back to my burgers, and my burgers are on fire, and I have to put them out. <laughs> it's it's a ton of fun. Uh, the game introduces a lot of new mechanics from overcooked one in that like there's different recipes you can do that aren't in the first one which is super cool like i don't believe the mixing bowl was in the first one and that one adds a lot of really interesting elements to the game yeah the mixing bowl is fun yeah yeah there's there's a whole bunch of little things like that and the game does a really good job of introducing you to new elements and then layering them on top of each other to make it more difficult so like the first thing you mix is simply fish and flour but then later on you end up mixing pancakes which need flour and eggs and chocolate but you have to chop the chocolate first to put it in and then you have to fry the mixture so it, it does a really good job introducing you to like little mechanics and then building off of those mechanics as you go along further into the levels it does a really good job of organizing them in a pretty good way because it, it really does feel like they're just about the right amount of difficulty when we get to that point in the, the game because we kind of had enough practice doing other stuff uh it Exactly. And then like they'll even they'll even mix it up by throwing in easier tasks and making the maps more complex and difficult with like moving parts or like constant fire showing up, things like that, which is is really fun and adds a lot of dynamic. It's great. <laughs> I, I I like that you're like, those are great. Those had a great dynamic. And like, those are the ones that make my Ajita go fucking crazy, bro. Those are the ones that make me, those are the ones that give me panic attacks at night. You know, like, flying you know, around like when we're all on one moving platform in the center and all of the ingredients are on the outside. So we have to move the platform to no! each corner to do anything. That one gives me a heart attack. I hate that one because like there's four of us, right? And it feels like if you had even just two people, that would be hard. <laughs> oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. but like having four people makes it like impossible to walk around everywhere <laughs> oh it does it, it's really hard you're constantly crashing into each other and throwing shit at each other and bumping into each other it's a lot of fun it, it, it's a blast this game is it's probably some of the most fun you can have playing a four-player co-op game you'll have a great time doing it there's some really cool modes that we didn't even try out uh like there's yeah there's a versus mode in which you compete against each other to cook uh, and there's one other mode. What is it? I do love how this game, it just kind of like goes from 
you know, you're cooking sushi one minute, and then you're cooking burgers the next minute, and then you're cooking sushi and burgers, and also you're in, like, a hot air balloon flying around, and you have to, like, wait until the hot air balloons collide in order to, like, maneuver the ingredients from one spot to the other. It it's chaos. It's complete chaos. Exactly. It's a lot of fun. Yes, and the other mode is an arcade mode, uh, in which you can just play with each other on different maps. Super cool. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's other modes other than just the story and, and it's, it's great. It's a fun time that it's loaded with a pun ton of puns about the sort of game and food and the unbred and stuff. The story's, you know, it's not inherently complex. It's just fun and charming. It, it sort of reads a little bit like a evil dead parody because they have like a Necronomicon type deal that they keep looking oh, into. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Necronomicon. Yeah, they, they nom into the. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very good. <laughs> it's very charming. I I cannot recommend this game enough, especially if you have friends you can play with it. Uh, otherwise, it, it's even fun alone. Like, they have a mechanic that you can juggle between the chefs to do the different tasks. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, there's always two chefs on the field, and you press shift to juggle between both of the chefs. So there's there's a lot of, like, micromanagement you want you can do if you want to play it alone. The skins are cute. It's it's just a good, fun time. It, 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 play this game with your friends. I, I definitely recommend it. I've said this a lot. I want to see a speedrun of this game. I, I think people would struggle to do that. Oh, it would be a struggle, but that would make it good. <laughs> <laughs> or just, like, trying to get, like, three stars on every single thing and speedrunning it to the very end. I don't know. It would be interesting. Oh, that's what I wanted to point out, too, is that, like, the the difficulty, too. Some of the levels are very, very easy to three-star, and others are very difficult. So it, there's plenty of replayability in trying to get three stars in the levels and, like, learning the most efficient ways to do them. Yeah, good game. Lots of fun. Not a lot to be said about it. It's overcooked. It, you've probably played the first one or seen it. It's a lot of fun. It's it's not you 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 won't be struggling to enjoy it. Next game. Just kidding. It's actually just called struggling. It's actually I mean it's a struggle to play, but it's not actually that bad. It's pretty fun. So uh, it's developed by Chasing Rat Games, who have developed no other titles, and it's published by Get This Frontier. God, Foundry? of course the developer's name is Chasing Rat Games. That's so fucking good. Well, yeah, especially because the rats <laughs> chase you the entire time in that game. Yeah. <laughs> and it's terrifying. Uh but again, Frontier Foundry, the Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 publishers, uh I don't know and apparently they also did like this game called Lemniscate and uh, I I they might also be the, like a subsidiary of the people who also published Elite Dangerous and Planet Zoo and the like Planet Coaster and all of those games. Damn. They know a good game when they see it. I guess so, but I it seems like it's like a it's like a sub-publisher. It's like a publisher under a publisher. It's weird. Editor Johnny here. Frontier Games is a subsidiary of Frontier, the publisher of the aforementioned games. Frontier Games was created as Frontier's visionary new games label, in which they are dedicated to helping smaller developers develop games that they see are innovative in their genre of play. Anyway, though, this game is 
uh, you kind of have to start with the art style. It's like this macabre looking cacophony of body horror with some very mild inspiration from Greek mythology. There are just everywhere you look eyeballs and flesh and teeth jutting out of surfaces and like unsuspecting humans you'll find and you'll just like uh, catapult them into horrible deaths off, you know, often by your own hand. And uh, it feels almost like it came straight out of the Newground scene, just in terms of like the the humor and the theming and the way that it looks. Not in a bad way at all. I, I say that with love. I, I think that Newgrounds has a lot of great things going for it. Uh, initially, though, it plays like heave ho. Uh, if you're playing co-op, one person controls each arm of the beast, and if you're playing solo, then you control both arms. Uh, at the same time, which I found to be like way harder, uh, weirdly, just because of the way that the arms work. They don't work like the heave ho arms, where they have like a joint and two noodles. It's sort of more like um, a a weird cluster of individual joints that sort of feels more like a tentacle than anything else. You eventually get uh, the ability to do more stuff like mutations to the detach your arm and stuff. Uh, but for the most part, you just grip, slip, and throw yourself forward to progress. It's, it's, a, it's a good time. The only real mode here is the story mode, where players progress from the beginning of the game to the end. It's definitely not as feature-rich as Heave Ho, and um, it's probably not as accessible to a larger audience either. I think Heave Ho was the same way, where it didn't have online co-op, and this game doesn't have it either. You're forced to use Parsec or Steam uh, screen share if you're using uh, the Steam version. Uh, the story can feel unnecessarily difficult at times. Correct me if I feel wrong, if I'm wrong there. You know, it was, it was challenging, but I think the challenging part came from, like, just the con inherent controls and communication that came with it, not because it was, like, inherently difficult. I suppose. I just, I think about, like, that rat chase segment early on in the game and how many times we had to restart it before we finally got it, and I thought, like, you know, if I, if I like, wasn't, you know, streaming this, I might have just given up there. <laughs> like, that part is <laughs> And see, my thought so was stressful. like, well, if I was playing this alone, I probably would have got that in the second pass. Really? <laughs> 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 playing it alone, it is not as easy, I gotta say. Uh, but we were definitely sabotaging each other along the way during that. Because, like, if you make one mistake, then, like, you're dead. You're dead. So, with a friend, I... That's what I was gonna say, is that alone, I felt like this game was very frustrating... Uh, where I was just kind of struggling with the controls and uh, wasn't having a fantastic time. And when I was with a friend, I was busting my freaking gut laughing all the time at just the constant ineptitude and failure of our ability to progress. I was having so much fun. <laughs> so much fun, dude. I, I really want to go back and try to beat that game. Honestly, I kind of want to see the end of the story, too, if yeah. I'm not going to lie. I want to like... know what more mutations there are. Yeah, because it seems like like the further we go down the game, the further it distances itself from Heave Ho, where you think it's just this game about controlling this single conjoined twin. It sort of becomes this larger game about trying to get a single mass to the end using your two detachable limbs and their many abilities. I enjoyed it more than Heave Ho somehow, even though there's like less options Maybe it was just the fact that, like, we have to work together so much more in this game to in order to progress. I think that's what I really enjoyed about this game, too, over Heave Ho, is that, like, 
I mean, there were moments in Heave Ho where either one of us could basically solo the level ourselves. Yeah, because you can just get the balloon and then give it to the other person, and then they can get to the end of the level. Because in Heave Ho, you control two sort of flailing dudes individually rather than uh, one dude together. And one dude together feels like you're accomplishing a goal where the other one feels like you're both playing separate games together. Yeah, so in that sense, I felt like much more literally connected to my friend in this time of distancing, and so I enjoyed it more in that sense. It was the difference of teamwork Teamwork makes this easier versus without teamwork, this would be impossible. <laughs> yeah, I felt like the only time we really needed teamwork was for the um, coins, really. The coins in Heave Ho are, are the, where the real teamwork comes in. Uh, but... In this game, so, uh, and, and the, the, I'd say that the implications of this in terms of the story, because you're sort of, uh, you're, you're, the whole game sets you up in like this Greek myth, uh, epic scroll that sort of reminds me of the initial scroll of Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, uh, where you're sort of learning about like these two legendary heroes named, what was it, Hector, Hector and Archimedes, and, uh, these two heroes are fated to come back one day and to save the world from devastation. And uh, it looks like these two, like, legendary brothers, and, like, they, they look strong and heroic. And then the game cuts to the future where you're in a laboratory and you break out of a storage tank and you're just, like, this screaming beast with literally a button that allows you to just scream and kill yourself. And, <laughs> and everything you do is pain. You slap yourself onto things and get a bruised eye. And uh, you seem to be able to infinitely regenerate yourself using these, like, weird flesh-like respawn points. Uh, it, it's just, the, the idea is that life is pain. And why would we expect our, our legendary prophesized heroes of pain, uh, sorry, of he <laughs> our, our legendary prophesized heroes <laughs> to not also be the in pain? The heroes of pain. The heroes of pain. They are the heroes of pain. Born from the suffering. I mean, that is what they are in this game. They, 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 are, they are the heroes of pain born to suffer uh, and make progress through their suffering. And uh, it really, you can feel the struggling of the main character as you also in the game feel the struggling of the controls and uh, in that sense the the narrative is very complete in terms of the story and the gameplay working together to tell the same thing uh so i think that and and that's something that uh i found really cool about this game is the way it sort of twisted like the traditional greek lore and story into this weird mass of just nastiness <laughs> yeah like it, it's a definitely subverts expectations in a really fun way and it makes me want to explore more to see, like, what m other illusions they could make in, in crazy uh, ways that I just don't expect. So if you have a friend, this one is definitely worth it. Uh, make sure you find a friend who won't rip your head off while playing it. Uh, I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say doubly worth it if you plan on streaming it. Uh, it is a little bit hard with Parsec and stuff, but I think that this game is just such a total riot. And it's been a while since I've laughed this hard while playing a game that, like, you, chances are, will have a fantastic time uh, playing it for a whole audience as well. It's all around a blast. It's a blast. Uh, just like our next game is a blast. Oh, 
bones here, Bob, here. In this game, it's... This amateur is the forgot to mention the best part. It's that it's got collectible hats, yo. Get that shit unlocked. You can even get them in a little mind palace that you can look at them all in. It's great. Anyway, back to the show. Okay, our next game is Indivisible, a game by Lab Zero Games, who were the developers of Skullgirls, as most people are familiar. This is... And I even wrote here, I wrote here, the first thing I said in the outline is, this game is fun? That's not a rousing recommendation, is this game is fun? It's not a rousing recommendation, because I don't rousingly recommend the game, but uh, it's a real-time tactics RPG in that, like, you, you have an active... Uh, it's a lot like the active time battle system of Final Fantasy, where you have, like, a constant cooldown of your attack that you can then spam. Uh, but this one's presented in the way of... Val uh, Valkyrie Profile. Valkyrie Profile. So you have your... All of your, your four heroes are arranged in a diamond pattern. So the e each position corresponds with a button on the controller or the keyboard. And you have X amount of button presses that you can do. Holding the button also dodges when an enemy... Or blocks or dodges when an enemy is attacking. Uh, it's, it's a really sort of simple game, like, combat mechanic. But it's, it's really innovative. And the way they did it is kind of interesting because... Each enemy has three different attacks. They have their basic attack, they have an up attack, and a down attack. So each of those sort of combo in different ways and do different things depending on what the character is. And there are some enemies that are like guarding, and in order to break the guard you have to do an up attack and followed up by a down attack, and then it breaks their guard and you can do anything to them. It's like cross-ups in a fighting game, and it literally feels like a fighting game from what I understand. Oh, 100%. It feels exactly like a fighting game. It's really fun. I, I enjoyed the combat a lot. Until I had to do it too much. And then it started to get a little frustrating. <laughs> Editor Johnny here. The following segment contains very minor indivisible spoilers, including characters, gameplay, and some items that you may find or encounter. If you'd like to avoid these minor spoilers, please skip ahead to 35 minutes and 27 seconds. Well, all, all, all right, let's talk about the gameplay mechanics first and, and why I kind of didn't like it. The gameplay is, it's disguised as a Metroidvania. The The intent is that, like, you can explore the map and you have to come back to different areas when you get different upgrades to progress further. But the way they present it in the game, it, it, it's off-putting as hell. Because they give you the choice to go to one of three areas. And you get to one of those three areas... And then you get about halfway to two-thirds of the way through it to find out that you have to go back to get the item that you need. So it's not like the map is just an open world that you sort of explore and encounter obstacles. The players are making an active choice to go to an area, and then they're being told their choice was wrong and you have to go back to another area. It's like a fake open world, basically. Exactly, exactly. So it just feels like the game would have been smoother if they had just confined you to each area at a time and you progress linearly, rather than this sort of quasi-linear, but sort of open world, not really, system that they put into place. Is it all like one large map, or is it like many multiple maps? It's many multiple maps, that's the thing. So after you finish the first little area, you get on a ship, and the ship gives you the option to select one of three different areas to travel to. And the different areas are completely isolated from the rest of the world. Yeah, why didn't they just gate that then? 
Like, I mean, maybe you can get, like, an item or something, but, like, I don't know, like, what the point of even going over there would be. Yeah, that there, there, there's no point, really, in going to each area at a time when they could have just said, okay, just go to the first area, then the second area, then the third area. But no, it's go to the go to the second area to get an upgrade to go back to the first area to go to the third area to go back to the second area to go to the first area to go back to finish the game, basically. So... It, it, it's this weird system, and and the problem though, the problem that because that's that's basically what a Metroidvania is. That's not normally an issue, but the problem that I have with it is specifically giving the players choice to pick which area they go to, just to find out it's the wrong one. There's a lot of ways that that can just lead to player frustration and backtracking. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's the really that's part of the problem that I had too in the in that idea of player progression and backtracking because each area that you go through, you have to fight through a countless number of mobs. Like, uh, so so the screen is obviously broken up into basically different square panels, and each time you go across the panel, it loads the next panel. You know, uh, like a traditional side scroller style game. Uh, and so, or 2D platformer, uh, and so each of these little areas usually has like two to three enemy uh, combat encounters you have to do. Most of them aren't skippable. Some of them you can like jump over the enemies and maneuver around them so you don't have to do the fights, but there are a lot of enemies that are just like too big to jump over. So you just have to do the fights and the fights all respawn. So you go through probably 20 to 40 fights to get to the end. And that's that's assuming you go through and, and like perfectly make it to the end without fucking up your exploration and having to backtrack to begin with. So you make it all the way to the end to find out you have to go all the way back to the beginning, refight all of the combat encounters to get back. There's no shortcut. They don't like teleport you back to the boat or anything. They don't let you leave from the spot you get stuck at. You have to fight your way all the way back to the boat to go pick a different area. I feel like a simple solution would literally just be like a return scroll, like, like a consumable item like that you can just teleport with. Yes, if that existed, that would have been incredible because then I wouldn't have felt so frustrated with the backtracking. That's what really got me. <clears throat> and and that's why the combat started to wear down on me because the combat wasn't inherently difficult. It was pretty easy to solve. Even the boss fights weren't that bad. It just doing it over and over again and each combat sequence taking a minimum of like two to five minutes means I, I spent, you know, 40 minutes exploring one area just to be told to go all the way back and have to spend 40 minutes clearing my way back again to start clearing the next area to try to get to that gate again. Doesn't sound fun, just sounds frustrating. Yeah, it was it was very frustrating after a certain point of playing that I just I just wanted to progress but I had to do a bunch of mindless combat that I knew I would already win in order to get to where I, to the items in order to progress further. I feel that I, you know, this is a little bit of a spoiler for a game that we're going to be featuring in the next podcast, but I've been playing Shining Resonance a little bit early and uh, that game has similar combat where like the, the regular enemy combat encounters, you have to do so much in order to grind to get to a high enough level to do like the big boss encounters and the boss encounters are the only fun encounters in the game. It feels like sometimes where, like, you actually have to think about the strategy and, like, you know, you try not to, like, try to keep everyone alive and try to keep everyone going. And then, like, the fucking mobs are just, like, whatever. You know you're going to win. You can just mash whatever. That's so funny, too, because while we're on that sort of subject, is that, like, fighting the mobs gives you experience, but it never feels like you actually need the level-ups and experience to fight the bosses. Like, 
I, I was doing, and, and I don't know, maybe it's just because the game and the way its progression is developed was actually really well designed and I was progressing at a very appropriate rate, but fighting the bosses never felt challenging, I never felt underleveled, and I never felt really overleveled, so it really felt like leveling didn't make a difference in the game at all. Hmm. So you kind of felt powerful regardless, as long as you were like acquiring new people especially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and to that point, the only times I've been challenged in the game was fighting there's there's some special it, mobs that you have to fight to get uh like items to give to one for for a quest basically. Uh and <laughs> another really weird design choice, when you encounter these mobs, as soon as you walk into their zone, it immediately triggers combat with them. And the combat within, like, you can tell immediately, th it's the only part I felt under-leveled because every attack was doing, like, three damage and, and nothing to the mob. Uh, but there's no way to run away from the combat either, so you basically get punished for exploring these zones, too, because if you accidentally trigger this mob, you, you just have to die and, and not go into that zone later. Which, even those fights, though, like... I I I probably spent at one point like 40 minutes just trying to whittle my way through this fight just to see if it could be done. It, and I had like I had all the dodges timed perfectly, I had all the attacks timed perfectly, but eventually I just got bored of waiting for like my one damage attacks to kill this guy. So I was like, "All right, I give up and just let him kill me." Ah, <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. So even even the hardest mob wasn't difficult. The only reason I couldn't kill it was because I I didn't have enough damage output. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm it's it's a really it's a really interesting game and I think the gameplay is very unique and innovative and fun. I just got bored of it. Like I got bored of backtracking and doing the same thing over and over again and and knowing it was easy and I still had to do it and there was no way to just get past it. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, fun fact uh, about me: I did actually kickstart this game, but I've never played it. <laughs> I I just I waited so long for it to come out, and they I wanted specifically the Nintendo Switch version, and it took them way long to get the Nintendo Switch version out for some reason. They had some issue with like with redoing the code and then like they hired somebody else to do it and then when they implemented it in the switch store it actually didn't have a lot of like key features like co-op and uh other shit like that it was just like left out because it was like in a later update that they they hadn't like added to like that specific patch yet so then they had to go back and like address that fact and like like hey sorry guys we messed up like i know that the nintendo switch version was late and also missing a ton of features from the current steam version but <laughs> and, and that's like I didn't get the chance to play co-op on this game, but I wonder what that looks like because I can only imagine the co-op is only for combat. I I mean I don't know I I think it must be because like the astral projection mechanic is like where where characters come out of your mind like you you know one character's in control the entire time except maybe in fights then they come out that would that would be the make make the most sense to me. That that's I yeah I I can't speak to the co-op I didn't play it but that's what makes the most sense to me and that just feels like it'd be boring like you're watching your friend run around and do all the exploration and then every once in a while you get to pop out and spam B. Yeah, I'm sure editor Johnny will let us know if there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, editor Johnny will let us know if there's more. Editor Johnny here. I was way off base on the co-op. After reviewing gameplay, it looks like you can run around and platform with your buddy as well, and, even better, friendly fire is on, so you can fuck with each other 
in the process. Uh, the co-op looks incredibly fun on this game, and I think it would alleviate a lot of the pain of exploring this world alone. If you can find a friend to play this with, I highly recommend it. Uh, but I did find <laughs> I did find some really cool things about this game. Like, there was one mechanic, the, the boss fights, they all juggle the, the actual combat system with the out of combat system in a really interesting way. So like you'll be you'll be fighting a boss and all of a sudden they'll just blast you back and you'll get knocked out of combat where you can run around dodging their attacks and attacking them until you get engaged back in the combat with them. Yeah, that's cool. And also cuz like your attack as I believe a traversal mechanic as well. Isn't that right? It absolutely is. Yes. Yeah, the the traversal too is very cool. The platforming segments in this game are great. Like the the items and the upgrades you get and the way you traverse the world is super cool. You eventually get a part like uh, a weapon that you can use to turn enemies to stone, so you can use them as like climbable terrain and stuff. It's fucking phenomenal. Like the traversal mechanics are amazing and I wish I wish I could just platform in this game and not have to do so much pointless combat. <laughs> well, maybe if you're better at the platforming then you wouldn't have to do the combat. <laughs> but but I can't not do it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to grind for levels. <laughs> which which although I did I did just get to the point where I unlock the thing that turns enemies to like traversable uh, terrain. And so I guess at this point, yeah, I realistically could just shoot all the enemies with that and dodge them and jump over them and stuff and not have to worry about them. So that might make the game a little more enjoyable in this last stretch that I have. That's fair. There you go. And uh, I don't know how much you found of, like, the secrets in this game. Because I kickstarted it, I know that there are some really cool things that you can find. Like, uh, there's, like, a Shovel Knight character that you can uh, recruit. Oh, hell, uh, there's, I mean, there's Wario. Wario? Like, like you literally... <laughs> I didn't real. I actually didn't realize that Wario was in the game. Yo, deadass, th it's this old mustachioed prince. He's not called Wario. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like Wario, and he acts like Wario. He, looks, he looks like Wario, and he acts like Wario. And you can get a... Like, eventually you unlock the ability to change the color of the costumes of your party members, and you can change his color scheme to Wario's. Like, 100% he's supposed to be a nod to Wario. <laughs> I fucking love it. <laughs> Yo, dude. It's so good. It, it, I, that's one thing that I really enjoyed about following the development of this game was just the how much fun they seem to be having with the character designs and, like, all of the different, like, recruitable characters that you can bring into your party. Yeah, and to get into the, the story a little bit, like, the characters are incredible. Like, all the characters are super distinct and unique, and, and they, they're really fun and interesting and cool characters. Uh, but, like, <laughs> I, I kept finding, like, they throw them at you like fucking candy, especially at the start of the game. Like, it's one after another. You get, like, five or six party members in the first probably two hours of the game. <laughs> they just want you to see, they, they just want you to have some stuff to choose from. A hundred percent. But, like, but, like, that was one of my problems is, like, there's this disconnect about members joining your party and the main quest line, because all of them are like, yes, I'll join you to avenge my dead brother. And then they get in the, your party and they never mention their dead brother again. It's just like, okay, now they're just here to save the world. Now they're just trapped in my head forever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, there's, there is one character, I think, whose motivation fits throughout the whole game. And her whole motivation is just like, yeah, fuck it. I'll join you. I burnt my house down. So I got nowhere to be. <laughs> I like that motivation. That's a good motivation. So yeah, like I love the characters. I love the like fucking lesbian pirate queen. She's amazing. Uh, all of the characters are super cool and super interesting. 
but and, and, but like and they all play really distinctly too like they all play very uniquely in combat and their their abilities all reflect their personalities in a very interesting way too uh but also like a lot of the story just feels very surface level and and kind of like it's just all right writing we made a game yeah yeah it's a lot of like hey i'm the hero of the world and i'm going to save the world yeah, hero, I'll join you, hero of the world. Let me hop into your head and, and join you on your magical quest. Oh no, hero of the world, you fucked up. Like, it's a lot of, like, very, very basic surface-level dialogue. It's not bad, it's not great. It's... It's all around just like a... It's fun. It's I. <laughs> um, I, I, I wrote, I wrote, I think most of my complaints about this game came from trying to take it all in in one sitting. Like, I sat down and played this game for, like, 10 or 11 hours straight. And, and I think that's, like, all, all of the little nitpicky things just kind of start to build up on each other when you're playing it for that long. I think this game would be a lot of fun if you're just like, oh, I got home from work and I'm just gonna walk through an area for 40 minutes or whatever and see what happens. You know, if you're playing it at a very casual pace, I think it'd be a ton of fun and won't feel as repetitive or burn you out nearly as quickly as it burnt me out. Well, there you go. So get it on uh, the Switch if they, you know, granted, uh, updated the the game at this point. And uh, then, yeah. (laughs) Then you can play it (laughs) co-op. And enjoy it at a leisurely pace. Enjoy it at a very leisurely pace. Like, take it in as though you're a frog sitting on a lily pad in the cool summer's pr- pond. Just taking in the breeze and your fellow animal friends nearby. And, and oh, oh, there's a mystery to be solved. Would you look at that? That, that, that frog's putting on some pants. He's putting on a shirt. He's buttoning it up. He's got a glass. He's ready to go. All right, guys. Look, does the frog detective wear clothes in this? Yeah, he does. He wears he wears like a little oh. uh, like beige shirt and uh, jeans and uh, little like brown loafers, and uh, he has like a little magnifying glass that he carries with him everywhere, and he can use it to like look at things. But it doesn't actually really zoom it in that much. It kind of just distorts the view to like a sort of circular lens. <laughs> it's really adorable. I-, I thought it was. Anyway, this game is developed by Grace Buxner and Thomas Boker. Uh, Thomas previously made a little minimalist puzzle game called Line, but other than that, they haven't done much. Uh, the, this is like sort of the, their, their claim to fame right now. Uh, this is published by Worm Club and Superhot Presents, who, uh, Superhot Presents also published, uh, The Procession to Calvary, which is like a Renaissance painting point and click adventure, and Teenage Blob, which is a quote unquote half game, half album adventure game. So, uh, interesting. Yeah. So they seem to have a lot of interesting things under their belt besides just super hot. Uh, I didn't actually know know that. If, and if you didn't know that, now you know. Uh, anyway, Frog Detective gets to solve mysteries by talking to animals and bringing them what they need. That's like the whole gameplay. It's like a first-person perspective. Uh, it sort of plays like that one episode of Chowder where in order to solve a single person's problem, you have to go and talk with every single other person to find out their problems, and then you can solve one person's problem, which then that will start a chain of events where you can solve everyone's problem by getting the prize that they will give you. Like, oh, here, thanks for solving my problem. Have this uh, uh, thing, that a doodad that this other person needs. Then you give that to the other person, and that person gives you a doodad that another person needs, and then you solve everything. So 
to put it in perspective of another bundle game that's been on on our podcast before kind of like smile for me yes very similar to that i think uh, i never watched the whole gameplay but if that it sounds correct then that's probably exactly the what it was that sounds exactly like that yeah uh, the first game is slightly smaller in scope than the second game, because this is uh, two different games here. The second game focuses more on the detective aspect. You actually have like a little notebook that you get to uh, write down information about suspects, and you can finger them as suspicious. You like write down notes about like their alibis and their personalities as you learn them, and also what uh, specific task they need to be completed. Uh, both of these games are super short and sweet. They're not substantial, like... <laughs> at all but that's fine honestly i don't think every game needs to be a ton uh, it's it's cute enough to induce a heart attack and that's all you need uh each is about uh 100 completable in like anywhere from one to three hours the first one's probably one hour the second one probably around three hours um the okay this is a little much for the spoiler section literally just skip ahead like 10 seconds getting into the spoilers just a tiny bit for like five seconds literally that's it the writing is gold. Every character is so adorable and memorable. My favorite was uh, Mary, who, uh, after extorting you for five monies, says, I am above the law. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no one in this game is ever actually a bad person. They are just misunderstood. That's, that, that's, that, that's the end of the spoiler part of the review. Uh, it's just a very quaint and lovely game. I love this game so much. The writing and all of the characters I love. I, I, I would hug each and every one of them if I could. Uh, each of these games is like $5 in the short length can make it a little bit hard to justify if you're just purchasing it. But uh, also, I've just never smiled this much while 100%ing two games in a single night. So I am a stan. I think that these games are a, a pleasure and a delight, and I think that you should try them. Don't they have like an extended Frog Detective universe outside of the games too? I think they might, yeah. They have like a blog. They have a frog blog that you can go and follow and like a Twitter account that's like an extension of the personality of the main character. Editor Johnny here. I realized we forgot to mention the Frog Detective social medias. If you want to see more Frog Detective outside of the game, you can follow him at Frog Detective on Twitter or go to frogdetective.net where you can find his frog blog. And uh, it basically provides extra content in the frog universe that you can see, like, more cases and stuff. And, like, it is so adorable. I love it so goddamn much. It's probably the exact opposite of our next game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That frog detective, he might have a beast inside himself. Is that what the frog... Every man is capable of murder, and every amphibian as well. That's what the Frog Detective 3 is about. It's going to get the, the, the... It's going to star the, the red lobster character, lobster cop, and he's going to end up uh, finding out that the Frog Detective has actually been murdering every single uh, person that he's come across, and that this is actually just a delusion, a wild delusion in his mind. <laughs> oh, man. Man, speaking of... Okay. <laughs> How do you like that segue? Wow, what a segue. Our next game is The Beast Inside by Illusion Ray Studios. <laughs> this is their only game so far. It is a first-person horror game. You know, like, first-person horror game where you run around and you get chased by bad guys and stuff. Uh, and this game, this it was really interesting in that, like, it felt like an homage to a ton of other horror games. And apparently, uh, looking into it a bit, the developers did say that, like, they, they pulled inspiration from dozens of horror games, basically. Uh, and it, it felt like 
every chapter of this game felt like it was shifting styles between different horror games. So it, it was really interesting. There were like moments that I was like, hey, this reminds me of PT. I'm running through an endless hallway over and over again. Or like, hey, this feels like Resident Evil. They gave me a gun and I can shoot the bad guy. <laughs> like, or like, this is like the evil within. Like I'm doing a, a complex stealth sequence in which I can't get caught. Like, so the entire time you're just like, this is like something else. <laughs> Yeah, every every moment felt like a different horror game. Like it, it felt like it smashed all these different horror games in into one very charming homage to all of them. Like it, it didn't do disservice to them. It wasn't like I played. It wasn't like light matter. You know, I wasn't playing this game and thinking, oh, this is just trying to be a cheap PT knockoff. It was like, oh, they saw this mechanic in PT that they really liked, and they found a way to implement it very smart in their game. Ah, uh, I like that. I really do like that. I, I, I feel like this might end up being one of those games that's like, you know, it's that you, if you've played other games, then you've probably played elements of everything in this before. But like, it just does what it does so well that like, it's kind of hard to argue with it. A hundred percent. And it like, it wasn't the best game in the genre because it was, you know, doing a bunch of things from a bunch of different games. But it sort it, it, it sort of showcased in a way how a game could pull from a bunch of different styles and genres of horror games and mash them all together in one in a way that feels coherent and kind of works, especially with the dynamic of jumping between the past and the present. Oh, it, it yeah. So, so the storyline takes place in two different timelines at the same time. And so the, the, there's never this moment of, Oh, I feel out of place because the mechanics and like the goal and gameplay kind of shifted in a way it's like, oh, this is just, it, it, it's because I, you know, jumped through time and now things are a little different, you know? Yeah, interesting. Do you get, like, have a, is there a mechanic that you switch through it, like, while you're just wandering through levels, or? No, so each chapter basically takes place in, it, it, it alternates timelines. So chapter one is in the in the present, chapter two becomes in the past, chapter three is in the present, and it kind of jumps back and forth like that. Okay. So it's it's very scripted. It's not like it's time jumping is not a mechanic in the game. It is a storytelling device. Gotcha. That makes more sense. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh so yeah, it was it was a really interesting homage and like god, the chase sequences in this game were fucking beautiful. Like the <laughs> they were so well animated. They weren't difficult. It was a chase sequence, you know, so it was just like pick the right path and go down it, you know. Uh, and, but, like, they were beautifully animated, and the enemies were, like, constantly popping out of, like, walls and tunnels and throwing shit at you, and it, it was so, I would play this game just to watch the chase sequences, because I thought they were so fucking good. There, there was never, yeah, there was never a chase sequence that I got in that I wasn't just like, ah, oh, shit is happening everywhere, and I'm gonna fucking die. Like, chase sequences are, are a little bit hit and miss sometimes. I feel like they can either be, like, some of the most fun parts of the game and stressful and memorable and, like, you know, because crazy shit's happening everywhere and it's, like, one of the high highest, like, moments of intensity in the game. But then it can also just be, like, kind of tedious because it's, like, you just die over and over again or, like, you do this and that and, like, does it... Does it happen like that at all, or? Uh, no. Honestly, they almost felt more like glorified cutscenes because the path that you had to go through was very, very well outlined. Uh, and and like all of the enemies had very good visual indicators. Um, so <laughs> it, it wasn't they weren't done in the traditional sense of like, oh, this one bad guy is chasing me through the whole thing, and I have to find my way through the right path and dodge things. Um, 
Yeah, it was like the enemy was constantly catching up with you, so to speak. Like they were behind you and then all of a sudden they'd walk. So you'd have two tunnel paths to go through and they'd walk through one of you to funnel you, one of them to funnel you in the other. Or like you'd come into an opening and there'd be a left and right. And all of a sudden the enemy would bust, bust through a wall on the right. So you knew you had to go left. <laughs> but like that also gives you the added effect of like if you're going left and then you see something burst out, you're like, oh, <laughs> exactly. Like there was there was one distinct moment where you're like you're sprinting down this straight path. Uh, like you drop off a ledge and you sprint down and then all of a sudden the enemy walks right in front of you and all and you know, oh, fuck, I have to turn around and you turn around and you realize where you drop down from. There was an opening behind you can go in. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they use the enemies in a very clever way to direct the player through the path, which just makes it so fucking good. Like uh, I, I thought they were beautiful and fun and engaging and exciting and they weren't like scary, but it was so cool just like watching this fucking bad guy bust out of a wall and seeing all the planks fly in front of me while he's glowing next to me and knowing, oh shit, turn left. <laughs> like, uh, very, very, very good chase sequences. And then, and then you get into the quick time events. Yeah, tell me about these. And God, did I have a problem with the quick time events in this game. <laughs> I mean, quick time events are hard to do right. I don't think that they're very good. Well... You know, they they're, they they make an interesting mechanic. They they're very simple. And this game the the developers tried to make them complex in a very cheap gimmick in that all of the quick time events were controlled with the mouse. And so the uh the the mouse symbol would pop up when it was a quick time event. But they would randomly switch between the left or right mouse button that you had to press. And the only indication was what color the the indicator was on the event that popped up so you'd go through four in a row pressing left click and then all of a sudden one would pop up and it'd be a random right click and you'd die Ooh, buddy oh, i've done oh, oh that i could feel the frustration from that oh it was so frustrating and then and then the audacity they had a they had a climbing sequence with quick time events in which you're using your left and right arm to climb up and they randomly generated whether it was left and right button. They didn't just use left for left and right for right. What? It was so fucking confusing That's... and just like what? a pointless barrier. That's uh yeah, because how I climb a road is right arm, then right arm, then right arm, then left arm, then right arm, then right arm, then left arm, then right arm, then right arm, then left arm, then left arm, then left arm, then right arm. The quick time events just felt very toxic and, and like an intentional way of like, haha, got you. We made you die this time. It's like literal, literal gotcha mechanics for to, to see like a little death scene or something. Exactly. Like I only died probably six times playing the game and four of them were quick time events. <laughs> Lame. Just because like, oh, it was right click this time and I thought it was going to be left click. Oops. <laughs> It never feels good to fail a quick time event. It just never does. Especially because, like, they don't give you second chances. If you mess it up, you're just dead. No matter how quick you react, too. I don't know. I played Chioke recently, which had quick time events in the sense that it was basically like a Dragon's Lair game. Uh, but it, it reset immediately right back to immediately where you left off the second that you failed. And so it basically didn't even feel like you failed. <laughs> yeah, you just got a quick animation of dying, and then you were back to wherever the last checkpoint was in the chapter on this one. So the the quick time events were rough. I you know it was it was hard. I I didn't quite enjoy them. But it was it was still problems with that aside, the gameplay was still mostly fun. It was it was predominantly a sort of uh 
uh, exploration game more than anything. You know, you found like like you'd expect in a you know horror game. You you find like notes laying everywhere that give you bits of lore, and you're mostly just like, oh, let me rewire this thing real quick to get to the next zone or whatever, and then run away from a bad guy. Yeah, it's like I'm pretty sure those are there to like quote unquote like give you a break to like just read something and take in some lore. But like, man. Fuck that shit. I, I always ignore it. I very rarely read it unless I'm, like, on a stream and I really feel the need to, like, give them a little bit of the lore, a little bit of my audience. I did not read much of them. I did read the the hidden ones that pop up just because they were... You, you had to wait for the hidden text to be discovered anyway, so it was really easy to read it as you went. Um, But that that was about all the reading I did of the game. <laughs> and And the story, the story of this game. Let's get into this real quick. Wacky Steve here. These dumb boys didn't even realize I cut out almost five seconds of audio. <laughs> uh, the story was weird. It felt odd in 2020 because the predominant storyline is like Cold War America and you're decrypting Russian spies telegrams. And so it's just... It's just all of this weird anti-Russian, anti-communist propaganda that just feels so out of place right now. Like, the whole time the main characters run around like, the commies are trying to kill us! They're spying on me! They're gonna kill my wife, the commies! Nah! That's what these Ruskies want! They're trying to brainwash us all and bring communism to America! Like, I mean, you say that's out of place right now, but I can't tell you how many, like, times my mom has brought me, like, an anti-communist piece of media to my desk to be like, here, check this out. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just that, like, anti-communist media hasn't really popped its way up in a lot of video games, but, but to see it in a video game was just kind of like, what are you guys doing? It's not fucking Cold War Russia anymore, like... I mean, like, Stranger Things is doing the same thing, too. Everything that's set in, like, the... Is it set in the 80s? Yeah, it is. Of, of it's course, very much if it's like... set in the 80s, then it, of course it has... <laughs> There it is. There's your answer. Yeah, but answer. it's like it's like why why would you pick that to be your setting in 2020? It's just it's, it's... because we're still living in the 80s. We're still living in the Cold War, baby. It never ended. <laughs> it was just like man, man, just like fucking make up a country, you know? It doesn't have to be and, and like sure, make it about Russian spies, but your your main character doesn't have to run around being like fucking commies trying to come to America. <laughs> 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 that, I'm that keeping like, America safe from the commies. That is like the quote-unquote twist of every single piece of media that is ever set in the 80s right now is, oh, oops, it was the commies. <laughs> oh, oh, but wait, but wait, that's not the twist of this game. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's even worse. You guessed it. It's another spoiler section. Perhaps David and I should find some consistent sound effect to use for our spoiler sections throughout all of the episodes. We'll talk about it. Anyways, to avoid major story spoilers from The Beast Inside, skip ahead to 57 minutes and 16 seconds. Uh, the twist, the twist I fucking hated, because, like, you see it coming, kind of, but there's a little part of you that's like, maybe that's not what it is, but, but it ends up being it. And it's like, the title of the game is The Beast Inside. Who do you think the murder is the whole time? Somebody with a split personality. It's someone with a split personality in DID. Whoa, Whoa, what a concept. Let's make the bad guy have DID and schizophrenia. What a what a good way to represent that group of people cuz everyone with those issues are definitely murderers. How many 
freaking horror movies and games have that exact premise and it continues to like stigmatize that community yeah it's so bad and it's hella insensitive and like fucking make the guy possessed by a demon don't make him like subject to a very real medical thing like yeah or I don't know, if you're going to do that, then, like, make it somewhat realistic. Like, maybe you can do, like, a Hellblade type of deal where you make it, like, you, you get, like, medical experts in and you actually, like, make it a part of the gameplay and part of the story, you know? Yeah, but but 100%, it's just like, oh, the main character was traumatized and then developed DID and murdered everyone. Wow. Like, it, it just, it feels insensitive and it doesn't feel like good representation. It It feels, I don't know. It's bad. It, it, it doesn't feel good. The game does have so so that's that's my mostly probably most people would probably say it's bias. Yeah, that's my bias about why I didn't like the story because insensitive portrayal against people with DID and fucking weird anti-commie propaganda. It's been done. That's all I'll say. It's been done. We we know it's 2020. It's not great. It's not a great light to portray any of these things in like. But the game does have multiple endings, so that's nice. But all of the endings come down to like two decisions you make at the end of the game. I hate that. Yeah, yeah, it's all it, the the very last two chapters you make a decision as both of the main characters and that determines everything. See, like replaying through Little Misfortune was nice recently because there was choices throughout the entire game that you could see to get like different dialogue choices and stuff which made replaying it feel substantial even though the ending didn't change. And in this it's the exact opposite where like <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and that's the problem too is there's like there's no chapter select and there's no save games. You play through this game on one file, as soon as it's over, it's done, and you have to start a new game. And so, in order to see the other endings, you have to play through the whole game again, unless you, like, save scum it somehow. Yeah, so... It, it, it's... The game... The game has some problem areas. I I enjoyed the gameplay a lot. It felt like a great homage to other horror games. Uh, I, I mostly enjoyed the story, barring a few glaring issues... It wasn't the end-all, be-all of horror games or anything, like, super unique or new, but it it felt interesting. It's their, it, it is the studio's first horror game, and so it seems like they could have a lot of pot potential developing other titles in the future, uh, which is very exciting to think about, and it showed a lot of ways that you can implement mechanics in a sort of non-cringy or bad way. Uh, if you're interested in horror games, I think it's worth picking up and looking at just for the mechanics and and sort of, like, gameplay alone. I mean, the game looks very pretty. I'm impressed that it's a first effort. Yeah. Yeah, I was very impressed, too, to see that it was the studio's first game. There's there's a lot of, like, the, the game's core horror mechanic is jump scares, so... But it, most of them feel very well-earned and deserved. I, I didn't feel a lot of times that I was like, ah, saw that jump scare coming, they do a very good job, like, mixing it up, and there's some really good moments where they, they, like, clearly show you the bad guy ahead of time, and so, like, the jump scare isn't its appearance altogether, it's kind of what happens when you start to approach it. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff. There's a lot of not interesting stuff. It's, it's a it's a game about stuff. It's a it's a game about stuff. It's all right. It's not the best in the world. I feel like I've said this again, again and again and again. <laughs> and again and again and again and again and again. Repeat. And again and again. 
Uh, you know, these guys are probably on the, the pathway to be some giants in the horror industry, but... It's entirely possible. They're climbing their way to the top. Yeah. An indie studio of exactly three people, in which two of them are always sitting around while one does all the work. Is that true? No, absolutely not. That's the segue. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that it was. I knew that it was. <laughs> I just... You felt like you were digging yourself into a hole there with, like, factually incorrect information. <laughs> All right. So uh, this next game is called Path of Giants. It's developed and published by Journeybound Games. I found out that this is actually a team made up of two people, a married couple, Andrew and Hannah. So that's actually kind of a cool thing. You don't see many uh, married couple power teams. Uh, but I think Cute that's really awesome in the games industry to, to see more of that. Uh so when I was doing research for this game, I decided to look at their website, and uh, their website is actually kind of baller. It has an official walkthrough for the game, like with video walkthroughs of each stage on both the phone version and the Steam and Switch version. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's like really well featured, and it even has like a little press kit. So I copied and pasted uh, a bit that I'll read later from the press kit. So thank you very much, you guys. I appreciate it. It helped me figure out more about you guys. Uh but yeah, this is just a puzzle game about helping three treasure-seeking bros run around these increasingly complex uh, series of 3D rooms. You, they use each other as platforms to uh, traverse up and down blocks, and the goal is just to get all three of the bros to the end of each stage. Uh, things get more complicated as new elements like switches that can only be pressed by certain explorers are added, moving platforms, weighted pulleys. Uh, basically, the idea here from their press kit is that they wanted to create a puzzle game that would be complete and calming experience. There's no death, no pressure, or race against time, and anyone of any gaming skill and level can potentially play it and have fun. And I do believe that. It's just the right amount of difficulty. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just the right amount of difficulty where, like, I don't feel um, that somebody could just pick it up and not, like, be able to immediately kind of figure it out. But it was also challenging enough that, like, I, I, was, I was getting, like, stuck in some parts, but I think that was just because I was also streaming and talking with people. I felt like I was just, like, going from puzzle to puzzle and getting, like, aha after aha moment. And it just felt good to, like, figure out the intricacies of each little puzzle and then uh, implement the solution. Uh, the idea really is just all about no man left behind. Got to get each brother to the end. So you have to figure out the mechanics of, like, okay, well, you can get a whole stack of brothers on, like, a bunch of steps down. But you can't get them all up because they can't climb up on their own, right? So you have to sort of maneuver around the level and figure that out. Uh... The art style is cute. It's pretty minimal. Uh, you're, you're three dudes who want treasure. That's the story. It's you know it's more in service of the gameplay than anything. Uh, there's only a few achievements that seem like they're a bit of a pain for 100% completionists. Uh, they're just like you know complete the whole game within a certain amount of time, that kind of thing. Otherwise, like three to five hours of content. It's pretty good for this. Editor Johnny here. David quickly caught his mistake after recording the podcast and wanted to point out that there are no achievements for completing levels in X amount of time. The hard achievements he was referring to were to complete levels without using any undos. Uh, if you're looking for like a chill puzzle game to vibe to, it's really hard to do worse than this. It's very simple and rewarding. There's even extra content added in like a winter update. It sort of ends abruptly. <laughs> I, it ends very abruptly <laughs> you, you did the last puzzle on stream and all of a sudden you were back at the start menu and i was like wait what yeah like the game is over that's it oh all right 
And then you can go back in, and if you hit the play or like continue after you've beaten the game, then it gives you an extra puzzle that like leads you to the real ending. So make sure you do that. Uh, but yeah, the aha moments in this game feel well earned. Uh, I, I definitely did actually on stream say aha multiple times. <laughs> and when I read through the the description of the game on the press kit, when that when I read that like that's what they were designing for to give you those moments of aha, I was like, well, they did their fucking job then, because I I had that happen lots of times while I was playing, and it felt good. So um, never took too long to implement either. That that was a problem that I have with a lot of puzzle games is that it takes too long for to implement the solutions to a puzzle. But in this game, all the movement is very snappy and quick. And uh, the fact that you can play it on your phone as well as on your Switch or PC gives you lots of different options to tackle this. I think that this is a really easy one to recommend. Uh, so I feel like this next one is going to be an easy one to recommend here too. <laughs> uh, the next one is One Step from Eden, a game by Thomas Moon Kang who also did Astral Gun, which looks really interesting. It's like a dollar on Steam, and it's like a four, uh, what, two to four player competitive sort of arcade space shooter. Looks really cool. Yeah, looks really interesting. Uh, this game, One Step from Eden, uh, I, I, I'd be murdered by our dear friend Pacifist if I... <laughs> what a sentence. Wow, that's not a, that's not a ma- sentence that makes sense, actually, the more you think about it. <laughs> uh, if I did not say that this game was like Mega Man Battle Network. Yeah, this game is definitely derivative of that game. It's very derivative of that game. It is a grid-based deck-building roguelite. So you're on a grid of 4 by 4 tiles and your enemies are on a grid of four by four tiles and you can move one grid at a time and you can attack across from the tiles and you can use spells that go across and they can attack towards you so they give visual indications where the enemy's attacks are going to land on your tiles so don't stand on the tile with an indicator of an attack landing there and they give a visual indication of where your attacks are going to hit on the other tile so line up your attacks to hit the enemies simple as that grid based deck building roguelite yeah that's all there is to the game literally it (laughs) well i'll say that i actually played this game in in a demo that came out uh, in the humble bundle cycle a while ago uh and i really enjoyed the demo it was one of my favorite demos that we played so far and to have the full game be just as good if not way better than the demo i'm very happy yeah uh in all seriousness the game is absolutely phenomenal the story is what you'd expect from a roguelite as in there's very little you know you get like two cutscenes at the end of the game the goal is to fight your way into Eden. You just do a bunch of murders to get into the Garden of fucking Eden, right? Like like one would expect, you know? Uh, <laughs> but there are there are several different endings to the game, which I think is great. There are there's a pacifist run you can do, a true pacifist run, a neutral, a genocide, and a true genocide run. So there's five different ways to end the game theoretically. Only two of the endings give you a like cutscene, and that is the true pacifist and the true genocide. The true pacifist involves not killing anyone, including the final boss, after you've killed them. Uh, so e- each boss, when you down them, you get the option to kill them or spare them. So the true pacifist, you have to spare every single boss that you fight, including the final boss. The true genocide run, you have to murder every single boss that you fight, including the shopkeeper. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to kill the shopkeeper too. Yes, you have to kill the shopkeeper too. Rip. Uh, I bet he's a hard boss. So that fight. gets you the the fucking shopkeeper's a hard ass boss fight. <laughs> but unlocking her too is also one of the coolest characters in the game. The 
so each character plays very distinctly from the others when you first get them. Uh, they all have a different uh, primary attack. Like, Saffron's is just a gun that can spam. Terra has a, a crack so she can crack tiles to force enemies into certain positions. Uh, Sarah has a shield that can reflect. Um, Violet has a, an ability that uh, drops a buff on any one of the four tiles next to her. And so, whichever tile you go to gives her a different buff, buff be it Fragile, Trinity, Flow, or... I don't remember the last one. Something else. <laughs> Editor Johnny. Editor Johnny probably won't put anything in there. <laughs> we, got a, we got a tight turnaround this month. Editor Johnny here. This spot has been left intentionally blank, even though I got most of those wrong, and there's actually five buffs. Uh, let's see. And then the shopkeeper's the shopkeeper's unique mechanic is that the shopkeeper has access to the store from the very beginning of the game. Everything in the store, barring refreshes, upgrades, and removals, are free. They and her health, uh, is equal to the current amount of money that she has. So you get all of the artifacts and cards in the shop for free. And then you, it costs money to refresh the stock, shop, shop to have new stock, which then in turn reduces your maximum health. It's a very interesting and unique uh, character. I, I have not seen a character implemented like that in really any game that I've played. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed the shopkeeper as a character. I really love the creativity in this game. It really seems like they have gone very far with... I mean... What is essentially a fairly simple concept is like taking a shmup and then putting it on a grid. A hundred percent. It's a very simple concept, but the game, it like, it's so unique and interesting. And the way that so much is happening on screen at one time, it's just like a, like fucking sensory overload. Almost the first few times I played this game, I, I could not understand what was going because you have to track your character's position. You have to track the enemy's position. You have to track where your attacks are going to land and where their attacks are going to land. You have to track the active spells you have from your deck at the moment. You have to track what's coming up in your deck. You have to track how much mana you have available. It's wild. Like, you are keeping track of so much in this game at one time. You learn really easy to, like, focus on one spot and sort of take in all the information through your peripheral at once. <laughs> uh, it weirdly reminds me of one of my favorite games. I don't know why, just your description of it. Have you ever heard of or played The World Ends With You? No. It's a really fascinating game where the combat is uh, on the DS, right? So there's two different screens, and on the top screen, you're in one dimension, and on the bottom screen, you're, you, uh, there's another character in a different dimension, and they're fighting the same creature. And uh, they're one of the one on the top is doing, like, basically like a turn-based combat that, like, auto-progresses after a certain amount of time, and you have to, like, choose responses for it. And then the bottom screen oh, okay. has, like, an active combat that you have to, like, manage while also managing the top screen. And it is... That sounds so cool. Oh, so fucking dope. But I just... I love the multitasking of, like... That's what it sounds like of this. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly what it is. Because, yeah. like, that, that that's what you're doing. It's it's so fucking fine, finely tuned. And, like, every position of movement counts for something. And so, like, you have to learn when to prioritize. Okay, now I'm going to attack versus now I'm going to dodge. And... I don't know. I, I think the game is really well designed. The gameplay feels so tight and well done. All all of the boss fights are mechanically interesting and very unique. Uh, none. So you, 
as you progress up to Eden, you fight all of the other unlockable characters except for the one you're playing as. So there's this really interesting, like, Ludo narrative, too. So that, like, if you're playing a Saffron, you'll never encounter Saffron as a boss, but you'll encounter Sarah and Tara and all of the, and Violet and all of the other characters and Hazel. So it, it, it's really interesting like that. Uh, but, but as you progress too, each boss gets new abilities and stuff. So if you fight Saffron in World 1, the fight's going to be way different than if you fight Saffron in World 7. Oh, interesting. So that's how they make it different in multiple different playthroughs. Uh, there, there's, there's tons to unlock in this game. There's tons of, like, cards, and every character has a different loadout that you unlock by beating the game with them. There's, you know, the shopkeeper, there's a solo mode of Saffron, like, there's so much really interesting stuff to unlock that all very much change the way the game is played, and it's, it's a ton of fun, every run feels like there's a great amount of variance, and it's unique and engaging, uh, there's a really interesting system that they use called the focus system, in which you can set the focus of the cards you want to find, so you can really kind of fine-tune your build and, and add a little bit of control to the RNG, which is great, and, and you can find ways to break it, like spamming just... <laughs> okay, so I, I, I found a way to essentially grind through the game very easy. Um, it, It's not, like, very easy, because the early game starts out very difficult because of the way you have to manage your deck. Uh, and the late game gets a lot easier if you if you cut down on as many cards as possible. And I would r just run Anubis Haven builds, which is the poison and then uh, like basically the best shield, but it gave everyone on the map a shield. So you'd spam. <laughs> I saw that in your Steam review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you spam the shield to keep your shields up at like a like over three hundred or four hundred, so you can take pretty much any hit while constantly keeping tech keeping stacks of poison on your enemies so that they just slowly tick down underneath the shields. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And there's like, there's tons of different ways to play the game. You don't have to run Anubis Havens build, builds. Like that's just a very good build. I found there's also like frost builds and flow builds and Trinity builds. And you can go structure builds, which is all about like putting turrets on the battlefield and stuff. Uh, there's area control builds where it's like laying mines and putting traps down on your opponent's side of the field. It's it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of different things you can do. The fun is in the experimentation, it sounds like. Exactly, yeah. It's it's a deck-building game at its heart. So, like, a lot of the fun comes to th comes in fine-tuning your deck and, and making adjustments and seeing what cards synergize really well with each other and building strategies off of that on the fly. Uh, I, I highly, highly recommend this game. If you like roguelites or you like Mega Man Battle Network... It, or even deck building games like I fucking love deck building games as a fan of Magic the Gathering uh, it, it's it's impossible to go wrong it's very challenging it, it'll develop your skills as both like a player and a person and you'll get hours and hours of fun out of this game oh yeah incredibly well done and go try the demo too if you don't know about it yet yeah absolutely go play the demo first and see if it's a style that you like it, it will be frustrating and hard to learn at first if you've never played a game like this but power through it and and it's definitely worth the reward of learning how to play so that's it that's it that's the whole bundle the extra will be next that's week the whole bundle. it's half the bundle no that's half the bundle it's only half it's only half the bundle only half. <laughs> oh goodbye all right well we, we got games of the bundle games of the month rather games of the week games of the month so far games of the month so far uh, we should add that little clarification <laughs> so far <laughs> uh so what's yours uh mine's one step from eden that's an easy one 
<laughs> it doesn't bash commies. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I I knew that was going to be the case. I, the the amount of time that I've seen you playing this on stream and off stream, I I knew. <laughs> I, I did play this probably 60 hours at the start of this week. <laughs> oh, my God. But I had to for the bundle. For the bundle. <laughs> it's a roguelite. Can I really judge a roguelite if I haven't got all the unlockables? And then meanwhile, you'll put like four hours or two hours or like one hour into Imperator Rome. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Look, some games I just know aren't for me, but they're for someone out there. Well, I know what game was for me, and that was Frog Detective. That's my game of the week so far. That's my game of the month, man. I, I love it. It's so sweet. It's like taking a syringe of dopamine and injecting it directly into your veins. God, we love that. That's funny, too, because that's how I felt playing Smile for me, too. It was like, it's just a good, satisfying experience that makes me feel okay with crying. Yeah! I mean, this time it wasn't so much with crying, because there honestly is nothing even worth crying over in this game. It's just a good time. <laughs> it's just a bunch of animals partying basically at a certain point hell yeah baby yeah and i just i need that kind of positivity in my life sometimes especially right now yeah so what other games have we been playing uh you know i've been playing a lot of we we signed up for the scavengers beta and got in that that game is very fun so far yeah I tried i'm it enjoying out. it a lot yeah I uh, did some Stardew Valley with my bud here, David, and and then don't give a buck. Yeah, I did Phasmophobia as well with Redux. Also, never split the party, which was an interesting little Binding of Isaac type uh, game that's free. Yeah, we did Don't Starve Together for the community night. Yeah, I did. We were here together with Samuel on stream. That was a lot of fun. Catman Sam. And uh, I've also just been playing on my own some like Terraria and Diablo likes. We haven't gotten so much cyberpunk 2020. Damn it. I was going to say we haven't forgotten anything. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined it. <laughs> oh, no. I took the joke out of your mouth. <laughs> cyberpunk 2020, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the, the good old the good old cheap knockoff of cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. It's uh, uh, flash before it dies as a medium this month. Uh, so someone released that. <laughs> as a flash game. <laughs> hurry hurry and release cyberpunk 2020 as a flash game <laughs> before all support of it is dropped off the face of the planet <laughs> now, that's very sad uh, by the way. i don't know if you've really paid any attention to that it's it's all archived it's all archived it is now like, but like i don't know it's still just like it's a bit rough i mean i should say most of most it's of archived it. there's shit out there that's probably not going to get caught a lot of underground stuff it's not going to get archived yeah but but most of it's archived a good portion of it. All of the Cartoon Network games that were on their website and all the Nick, Nick games were all archived. And that's all that I care. I saw that. That's <laughs> exciting as fuck. That's good. Codename Kids Next Door? Yo, uh, Ed Ed Nettie <laughs> fucking uh, Clash of Idiots. That, that's the one. Yes. That's the one. That's a good one. That's the one. Okay. Anyway. Uh, Global Givings is the charity this month. They are a nonprofit whose goal is to connect nonprofits, donors, and companies in nearly every country in the world. They help fellow nonprofits get access to funding, tools, and training, and support their needs to serve their communities. So it's a nonprofit all about helping nonprofits build up. Give to the people giving, as they say. Give Exactly. Make it easier for the givers to give. And uh, I, you also wrote uh, the most of this last part of the copy, so I feel like you're the best equipped to... <laughs> <laughs> to tackle uh, it all. Sorry to make you do right. one after the other, but 
we've uh we've got a few answers to last month's question, which was what movie or franchise would you want adopted into a video game? Ooh. Ooh. Uh from our friend Reduction, we have easily James Cameron's Avatar set in an open world multiplayer game or a VR survival game. Uh we have our friend T from the Discord that said Evil Dead character action game that's not held back by a shitty rush job. We also have Honey and Gin with Rob Marshall's 2002 adaptation of Chicago as essentially an American Ace Attorney game, which, what a, what a pick. <laughs> That's... What a game that'd be. <laughs> uh, and then Elkerlach, uh, which I know I pronounced wrong, said a fight club as a fighting game with the ability to control territory by setting up franchises and then using your members to destroy big box stores and credit card companies, which I am so surprised hasn't been done yet. Yeah, I mean, it basic. I mean, I think it has been, maybe, probably, but it's probably just not been as publicized because it's probably an indie game. Editor Johnny here again. The Fight Club game is just a regular sort of Street Fighter clone where you punch each other with. The skins and names of people from Fight Club. So, it's not that idea at all. It's just another generic fighter. Sub-editor Johnny here. It's Editor Johnny's Editor Johnny. I just wanted to let it be known that I always accidentally record these editor bits when I'm listening to the playback speed at 1.5... Great. Great. Therefore, Therefore, they, they all turn out at a really weird pitch. Uh, normally, I go back and correct them, but this one sounded exceptionally funny, so I decided to leave it in. Team might end up getting their wish because there is an Evil Dead game on the way, according to the the Game and Awards it announcement. Very good. Which it's funny because T I think actually put that in the chat before the Evil Dead game was announced. They absolutely <laughs> did. It was perfect. <laughs> Wow, that that actually worked out great. Uh, and I have a question for everyone this month. Oh, what what is the question? Uh, what's the most interesting or unique game mechanic you've experienced in a video game? So something like you know the portal gun from Portal, or uh, the grappling hook from Just Cause, or you know just this a very specific me- or the the sort of. Uh, repetitive hallway from pt or, or, or maybe like i know pacifist has been going on about the auto battle mechanic in final fantasy 12 and the ability to sort of program uh responses to certain situations for party members so you can basically have yeah it like... the gambit system yeah 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 so what what is the most interesting or unique game mechanic you've experienced in a video game all right and this last part just says closing bit well, that's because we're done. This is it. The podcast's over, David. Yeah, but what's our bit? Are we doing a bit? I just hear. Pe- <laughs> I'm getting so distracted. <laughs> I hear people like outside talking very loudly, and so I keep like that's part of the reason why I had to do this last part because I'm just like getting distracted you, hearing other people. Can you go out and have them yell our uh, social media plugs? <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, hey, get back! I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Follow us on Twitter. Come join the Bundle Bourgeoisie Discord. Uh, we're moving our Patreon over to Buy Me a Cup of Coffee if you're interested. We might have some merch showing up there soon. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast, please. David and I found out we've reviewed over 160 games this year. Was it 160? I thought it was 130. 
Was it 130? Well, I mean, if you count the extras, it's probably over 160. Oh, wait, no. It yeah, is. you're right, 100. Because it's 60 plus the 8 from, or the 7 from this month. So that's 130, 134. Over 134. I mean, it might be probably 160 if you count the extra games that we didn't do Steam reviews for. Counting the extra games is probably close to 160. That's fucking crazy. That is, yeah, that is so much. So, like, fucking seriously, those of you who are listening and who have, like, stuck around and and are actively, like, part of this community and everything, thank you all so fucking much. Like, that means a lot to us that, like, we can do this. We can talk about 160 games in a year. That's so cool. And that, like, people are there and they care and they're interested. Especially in our streams. It seems like the streams are really what people appreciate a lot. Seeing the games in action and and getting to, like, interact with us as well. Yeah, we we appreciate all of you so fucking much. And if you could tell people about it, like, it means a lot and it goes a long way in helping us grow. We have no money for marketing. It's 100% worth it. Exactly. It's all word of mouth. So, like, we we aren't going (laughs) to... We're going to have to review 160 games next year while working full-time jobs this time. Woohoo! Get ready! (laughs) Yo, pandemic (laughs) unemployment has run out, so get ready. Yep, we're done. And and student loans are back, baby. Yep. Oh, my... Yeah, yeah, repayment starts this January, so... Yep. So, like, yeah, seriously, thank you all who have listened. This outro has gone on for, like, 11 minutes. Yeah, Jesus. This, the music's gone. It's already out. It's, the music's gone. Yeah, yeah it's, it's done. This yeah. is over. Thank you all who are listening. We love you so much. <laughs> all right. Bye. I love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>